Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome to this iteration of Faster Than a Stand-Up. I'm Sunny Sanger, and I will be your host today. We continue the DevOps series today, and our topic today will be all around learning culture. Joining me today, friend of the podcast, Jesse Marchand, Senior Director, DevOps, ISBN, People and Enablement Operations, and another friend of the podcast, Dominic Meyer, Principal Engineer at SAP. How are you both doing today? Doing well. Doing well. Dominic? Going. Yeah, also, really happy to be here. Good, no worries. Glad to have you on here as well. So the topic today, gents, is going to be about learning culture. Um, let's kick this off with how does learning culture tie into DevOps? And I'll give that to Jesse. Yeah. So if you recollect from the past few episodes, we've talked about the three ways as espoused and sort of popularized by Gene Kim, John Willis, and, and, and crew on, on some of the really, really um, foundational uh, resources on, on DevOps, like the Phoenix Project and, and uh, DevOps Handbook and things like that. But the three ways um, we, we've talked about systems thinking and, and sort of lean products previously, we've talked about uh, amplifying feedback loops. And, and, and the third way is really about creating a, a culture of continual experimentation and learning. Um, and so that's, that's what, what we wanted to talk about today, because I mean, I think if, if you have system syncing, you are um, optimizing the performance of, of your system, sort of on an end-to-end basis. When you're amplifying feedback loops, you're giving yourself the chance to, to, to learn. But um, if you're not actually taking advantage of those in, in a culture of experimentation and learning, you're not you're not actually uh, improving at all. So really, it's it's a it's a fundamental part of improvement and and have a culture of of experimentation and learning does take certain um, certain things and, and certain characteristics and certain things to be in place. Uh, and and you know I think. Um, We'll talk about a lot of those today and some of those things you, we, we've already talked about previously, but things like having high trust generative cultures, things like um, having people that, that are, are uh, non-deterministic in their mindsets. In other words, A doesn't always equal B or A plus B doesn't always equal C. Uh, but then also being able to... to experiment and, and risk take uh, and, and having, you know, leadership support for that, having um, team support and, 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 you know, all throughout the entire system and culture. That, that's, those are some, some examples, but uh, I'm sure we'll get more into it as well. Sure. No, thank you, JC, for that overview. Dominic, what's your experience from learning cultures within DevOps? Um, and why do you think that's important? Yeah, I think if I would have to pick a very small uh, start or where I would link it the most to DevOps is since we do fast iterations and sometimes also fail, I think one point to start where you see the learning culture the most is when you had an incident. So kind of in a post-incident scenario, I think the, in my opinion, the learning culture there is uh, quite strong and also what we often observe is <clears throat> since teams can deliver a little bit faster, um, we encourage 
not risk taking in the sense of that you can just deliver uh, bad quality software, but you have you, you, the risk gets reduced when doing DevOps, and this generally helps our teams to kind of taking us like a small risk, let's say, um, to deliver a change. And if the, if something goes wrong, is it human or machines? Um, then I think the learning culture for us is the strongest. Then we follow up, like we do a blameless post-mortem. Mm -hmm. um, even if someone uh, or some, yeah, if some human clicked the wrong button, we will not search for why, like why he, why this person did it. Um, and what could have gone wrong or are they out of their mind? But we see like, why was this button even pressable? Um, can we introduce a gate that it doesn't become available? Can we, be, does it, can we somehow make sure that it's available, but when you click it, nothing happens? Um, so I think there we have a pretty strong um, learning culture. Also what we encourage here, where I also see a good tie is, uh, since we have teams of 10, it's tricky to share information. Um, so what we try to do is we have postmortems for teams, but also for the whole product. And we try to establish a learning culture, like sharing between different teams. So one microservice failed because of memory allocation or something that we share this in uh, special interest groups or community meetings. So the others can also profit. And if it was really that we kind of funnel it into the engineering um, group and we try to, for example, memory uh, problems and we try to then solve this learning specifically for all the teams. So I think it's in more than one place, but I would say in the postmortems, uh, it's for us the most impact for the learning itself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and, and to, to add on to that, um you know, we've, we've heard the term fail fast, and that is about failing fast and hopefully learning in small increments, as, as, as Dominic mentioned. It's not fail big, right? It's uh, try, to, try to fail exactly. fast from a risk-taking risk perspective. Um, and, and, and exactly right. I mean, I, blameless postmortems are, are a great way, uh, and, and the key there is that it really is blameless. It's not about the people. It's about about you know the, the system the process and, and how we how we make things there is no such thing as a a perfect operator or a perfect human being we're we're, we're all make mistakes and tons of them but we're also blessed with the opportunity to learn from those so as long yeah. as there's a, a culture of that that's incredibly uh, important um and and I, I would i would say there's there's another thing that that can be super powerful beyond uh blameless postmortems and that is the art of actually practicing failure. And um, you, you may have heard of things like chaos engineering or chaos monkeys coming out of Netflix or the Simeon army or things like that. Um, but that is all about taking failure and turning it on its head. Instead of preventing failure, there's the opportunity to proactively introduce failure in a small manner. Um, and, and that might be at first in some of your staging environments, but eventually it can be in, in production uh, where you, you know, try to introduce failure in these complex systems to understand where there are weaknesses and you do that in a controlled manner. And, and there's tools to do so. And, and uh, you know, we, could, we, talk, we can talk about that, but really the, that's, that is some of the more modern and, and um, 
uh, interesting work is, has been going on in those spaces where you, you know, introduce latency or you take down random servers or you take down, you know, take down your, your Kubernetes uh, uh, clusters and pods or whatever it is that, that you're trying to do and say, hey, what, what's going to actually happen to my system? How fast can I recover? What am I learning from this? And, and do that in a proactive manner. So, you know, there's, there's both sides. Uh, of course, everyone's going to have incidents. Uh, and, and if you really uh, start to get good at learning, how do we actually proactively introduce failure? I might, I might add something else that comes here to my mind when we speak about learning cultures. I think something really crucial, um, and we talked about this like uh, three episodes ago uh, in cultures. I think it's also something that needs to be lifted and encouraged um, by the management. So uh, introducing more approval gates and more control will not really give the psychological safety and also encourage teams to do small iterative changes, um, taking small risks. So I think it's really important that also the, the management's culture changes from a, let's say, controlled, uh, governed uh, culture where you kind of should only do your job, never take a risk, never, re never deploy anything. Um, because it could break something. So I think there it's also good that the management is aware, hey, we are in a culture where people take small risks because we do small shipments. Something could go wrong, but we learn it for the next time and we will never do the same mistake again. But mm -hmm. something can happen. I think it's also an important <clears throat> expectation to not expect that nothing goes wrong because this always something will go wrong, mm -hmm. at least for us. And I think it's also especially from a leadership point of view it's how you approach that conversation from the initial get-go because I think we've all been in post-mortems where there's um, been a lot of blaming a lot of what happened why did it happen um, and that always normally starts from a leadership perspective um, within that area so I think yeah often leaders taking a step back in those sort of situations and maybe asking the right questions to um to get the people to learn and even leadership to learn on how to yeah. approach those. Yeah, and, and I'm once again reminded of, of the Toyota production system and one of the quotes from one of, one of their leaders that uh, defects are in the Toyota production system are, are, are treasured. And that's quite the interesting concept. Why would you value or treasure defects? And, and that goes back to, those are the opportunities to learn and that something's wrong with the system. And so um, that type of mentality of, of hey, we're gonna celebrate that we have a defect as, a, as an opportunity for us to learn and improve the system versus, um, hey, there was a failure or what was, what was, you know, sort of the negative connotation of, you know, what was the, the, the cause of that failure and, and hopefully not the, uh, you know, who was the cause of that failure, but, but really it's, it's, it's an interesting way of thinking about it, of, of treasuring that defect versus, oh, you know, who caused that failure. Yeah. We, we once had a workshop for two hours with the leadership um, to make the difference between uh, encouraging, like celebrating failure and introducing failure, like uh, let's say blind. And I think this is really <clears throat> Um, different border to find that you don't encourage just to ship things until something breaks. So there is, for us, this was also tricky to formulate. How do we encourage people 
to take these risks, but not encourage them to just ship blindly until something breaks and then search afterwards, because this is also a little bit toxic, right? You can say, yeah, I don't test anything. I just ship all day long. And when it breaks, I do a postmortem. But it's also a little bit uh, the wrong attitude. So this is carefully to be sought and yeah, um, communicated and lived. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting point, because when we do encourage failure, understanding and identifying your blast radiuses um, and seeing how big or small you want to go, it must be super important, right? In terms of how do you get that across to the folks inside your teams um, in terms of helping them to identify that? Uh, so what we do um, on the on, on, on our side is we have a product development process. It kind of ties into the process map from SAP um, where we kind of clearly define the definition of done. Um, <clears throat> this means like you always bring unit tests, maybe an, it, is, it is to be defined right per, per um, issue that you work on. You cannot write end-to-end tests when you just change some calculation. So um, there is always a defined like uh, unit tests, functional tests, end-to-end tests, documentation, and kind of you need to fulfill this definition of done for every ticket. So we try to kind of still encourage the quality, um, not just write code, ship, and then see if it broke or not, and then write the regression test. So I think we try to stick to a definition of done, and also everyone kind of understands what is needed for a feature or something to be uh, done. And then I think this is for us uh, a key message. Like we try to stick to the definition of done. And if then it breaks, then we learn from it. How about you, Jesse? Yeah, no, I I think that's right. I I would also say for those products that have been around for a while and and are comprised of different either components or microservices or or whatever your architecture might be, my guess is you probably know which components are weaker or have more dependencies than the other. And, 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 you know, you probably have some sort of risk tolerance on those one on those components or, or maybe they're even sort of layers of the technical stack that are, that are a little bit more fragile. Um, but then also I think the, so you're probably a little bit more careful around those, but I would also say, and they might need more peer review or, or whatever to uh, around those, but I would also say those are also opportunities to, to, look at those and you know refactor those or or make them a little bit uh more resilient and 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 spend some time on on going back to you know proactively testing failure on those things like how try to figure out what your weakest you know link in the chain so to speak is and and spending some time to to make those more uh uh stronger so i think folks generally have a sense of what (laughs) breaks and and hopefully have some runbooks to get those back up quickly uh, uh, and those are probably also the opportunities to to think about those in a different way. Cool. Brilliant. Thank you both. Is there anything else you two want to cover off before we wrap this particular episode off? I, I, I think a couple of other techniques I don't think we've fully discussed about how to um, start learning or a learning culture. Uh, I mean, of course, we've mentioned the Western Culture Survey as a, as a tool you can use to understand some areas, but, um, you know, quite honestly, uh, a great way to learn is instituting uh, a form of 
you know, on call or pager duty or, or, or whatnot, right? And the reason that is uh, really helpful is that, you know, <laughs> when you're on call, you're responsible and you probably don't know how everything works, right? So it's, you know, when something does come up, uh, if you have good run books in place, if you've done good knowledge transfer, that will start to help spread spread the knowledge um, between uh, team members. So that's a very good technique to um, try to make folks not just sort of I-shaped and, and deep in a knowledge area, but T-shaped and understanding across a lot of different areas, how a lot of different components or services work, uh, or even E-shaped. Um, so that's that's a very good technique. Um, going back to some of the techniques around pair mob programming, another really good technique for learning how other parts work. If you want, and that, those are all sort of team or product based. If you want to learn sort of cross product or to another component, um, send people. You know, send travelers that can go and learn. You know, for a sprint or two, how something works. Especially you know if it's a if you're using their APIs you know, go spend a week with the other team and look at how they, their API works behind the scenes and, and volunteer your time and, and travel around. Um, but those are all some, some techniques that at a very tactical level can be used to, to help uh, uh, learn more. Yeah, no, they're great, great techniques. And speaking of on-call, just before this um, episode was, to, was gonna begin, we've got someone on on-call on this call right now <laughs> and it's dominant yes, <laughs> yes that actually i think i wanted to also attach to chessy so currently i'm on call um it is really really a good experience um i think this chessy this is a perfect example that when people go on call they kind of uh need it well for us sometimes it happens you go on call uh, something an incident comes up and you forgot what you have to do um, then you have to organize this knowledge rather quick mm -hmm. uh, what i learned is so before we were like nine people in this uh, ro rotation and now we are over 15 and i already see that kind of your knowledge decreases so um, every 15 weeks now i am on call before it was every nine weeks and um, you already see that this is a little bit the gap. So if we get more, we need to find another form um, because for example, as a uh, product lead on call, you need to send SPC notifications for customers. And the longer the gap, the more tricky it gets to remember what you have to do. So yeah, this is really a good learning to get thrown into the cold water and that you just have to repeat the drills or uh, mm -hmm. some run books. Yeah, good point, mm -hmm. thanks. Mm -hmm. Jesse, you mentioned shape sizes in your conversation. Um, yeah. earlier. So do you want to take the listeners through what shape sizes mean? Um, yeah. Yeah. So there's, there's, think of the letters I, T, and E. So, you know, I is a very straight letter and that describes a shape that uh, uh, describes someone's knowledge. So very narrow, uh, very deep, you know, and, and you can think of this as you know, I know my functional role. If I'm a developer, I, 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 you know, on whatever language, I know the ins and outs of that. And I may know also um, how I do this for my given product. So I know how to uh, commit. I know how to do all those things. Great. I know one thing for my component, for my service. And that's, and, and I know that deeply. Um, that's where most folks start. 
Uh, and there's an emphasis on trying to gain a much broader uh, understanding, especially on, on a team with many um, um, skills, many areas. And so that becomes more of a T-shape. So if you think of a T, right, we have our, our deep eye, but we have the horizontal that's going across. That's because I, at a shallow level, now understand lots of things uh, um, and, and still my subject very deeply. And so that's, that's sort of the first step. Um, if, if you're uh, in E-shape, you can think of the multiple horizontal lines that form, formulate a, a capital E. And, and that is, uh, again, you, you're, you know lots of things across different concerns uh, very horizontally. Brilliant. Yeah. Normally, when we explain that, Jesse, we also try to flip the E like 90 degrees because then it kind of matches sure. the depth, depth of all the others. Yeah, yep. cool. Um, one addition from me, I think this is really good, the E profile. Um, what we learned, like it, with an I profile, you cannot really live in DevOps because it means when you say like DevOps has six letters and you are an E, like kind yeah. of figuratively, you can only do one thing from DevOps, like one of the phases, um, mm -hmm. one, one letter basically. So you need a little bit of everything uh, that you can participate in DevOps. Otherwise you would just write code and throw it over the wall or do a test and throw it over the wall. So yeah, I think they, the T profile is a minimum requirement for DevOps. Otherwise, you are a bit lost, I think. Yeah, yeah, that, that's absolutely true. Yeah, yeah. Good, point. good point. And that's the end of this iteration. I'm Sunny. And Jesse. And Dominic. Until the next iteration, you can give us a rating at your podcast provider or shoot us an email at info at fasterthanastandup.com or find us on Twitter at FasterStandUp. Thanks for listening. And that was Faster Than a Standup. The opinions on this podcast are solely those of the participants and not of their employers.